I want to take my Bible. I hope you'll take your Bibles. Turn to John chapter 15. And I want to read for us the first 11 verses. We're going to focus on verses 9 to 11. But if you've not been with us each week, I think you need to hear what we have been studying. John 15, verses 1 through 11. The title of this morning's message is, Am I Abiding in Christ? Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. We're going to focus on these next three verses. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would use it to speak to our hearts truth that will change us. Father, I know that there are men and women and boys and girls and young adults and young people here who want to know what life with you is all about. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, I took Tuesday to attend uh, the gathering of Arkansas Baptists at First Baptist Church Russellville each year this time of year. Arkansas Baptists have a convention and messengers from churches gather together and they um, celebrate what God has been doing and among us as Baptist churches, some 1,500 churches in Arkansas. And so there's business, but there's also, and this is the primary reason that people go, there's a lot of fellowship, a lot of time spent together. In fact, um, that was the primary reason I went, was to see some people I haven't seen in a while. And so for 10 years, on Tuesday, I really couldn't meet with people. For 10 years on Tuesday, I was chained to a little table down at the front of the auditorium, wherever we were meeting, and I uh, was helping conduct the business, making sure people were showing up on time for their part of the program, and it really wasn't that exciting. It was a long, 
day on Tuesday and then a Wednesday when the other part of the convention would occur. Monday there's always a conference, pastor's conference. So for three days they come together. And for 10 years I went there every year. And I went there the first year that I was here. But for the last couple, three years I've not gone. I've stayed in touch with people but I haven't seen them. And so this past Tuesday I went and uh, before I left the parking lot I saw Wes George, former pastor here. So we chatted on the way into the building. I stepped into the building. Someone said, hey, Don, walked up to me, stood there about 10 minutes talking to that person, catching up to them, took about six more steps. Someone said, Don, stopped and talked to them. And for the next several hours, that's what I did. I actually made it to the exhibit hall, made one lap around it. That took about two hours. And... Um, had lunch with uh, someone uh, here from Wim, Brad Branham, who's a, a collegiate minister in Russellville at Tech, and, um, and we, had, we had a good visit together, and so got to see all these people. I had a great time. I came back, and I thought, well, that was fun. I never even went into, into the auditorium where I was chained for 10 years. I, I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't hear one lick time. You know, sometimes when we think of, of heaven, we think of it being like that meeting on Tuesday. And you know, there's a sense in which that is absolutely the truth. When you and I go to heaven and we are received by the Father, we're going to be absolutely in awe of who he is. We're going to worship him forever. We're also going to see every other brother and sister in Christ who has ever lived. Not just the ones you know, but the ones you didn't know. Ones you read about. You're going to see them. You'll be able to talk to them. And uh, you'll be able to visit with all of them. And you'll be able to see all of them for a long time. You may be like I was for the first several thousand years. You just take a few steps and somebody say, Hey, George, remember me? And, and it'll just be the next step and the next step. And you're going to see people. And that's, that, that is true. Where we're incorrect is sometimes we think that our relationship with Jesus is like that. And yes, when we get to heaven, to be absent from the body, Paul writes, is to be present with the Lord. And I will see him face to face. But that shell, that, that's going to be new, but that's not going to be the first time I've talked to him. That's not going to be the first time I've interacted with him. That's not going to be the first time we've spent time together since I became a Christian. And uh, so sometimes we think that, that, that Jesus saves you when you trust him. And then he says, now do the best you can, but you're coming to heaven. And when you die, you're going to be right there. And so we're looking forward to seeing him. And, and that's a good thing. But the relationship as as father and son or father and daughter, whatever the case may be, it's established, and yes, you're going to see him, but there is a communion, a fellowship that he intends for you to have now with him. In John 14, we, we have referred to it several times, but Jesus is explaining to his disciples on the night before his crucifixion and his death that he is leaving. They were not prepared for that news. And, and so Jesus is explaining to them, yes, I'm leaving, but I'm sending to you the Holy Spirit. He's going to live inside you, 
And this is going to be a better arrangement than even the one that we've had for the last three years. But the relationship that we have had on earth for the last three years is going to continue. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he said, it's going to be this way. I'm going to be like a vine, and you're going to be like a branch. And we're going to have this connection where the branch is in the vine. And I'm going to be in you, and I'm going to be around you, and you're going to be able to maintain the same kind of relationship only now 24-7 that you had with me when you walked with me for three years. That's what he's saying to the disciples. It's not going to be just a reunion in heaven. It's going to be a new level of encounter with Jesus. But an encounter that should have continued beginning the day you were saved and continuing right up to the moment of your last breath. And so Jesus is talking to us about this relationship. And he says, now in this relationship, the Father has a concern. He wants you to be connected to him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to experience him. But he also is looking for fruit. That in the context of this relationship where you are the branch connected to the vine and Jesus is the vine, that you're going to be able to draw something from the vine that you would have no other way. You're going to be able to experience him, know him, and receive from him direction and guidance and power that you would have received from him if he was here in person, but now you can receive with him because you are connected to him just like a branch into a vine. And so the father's interested in fruit. And so what happens is the branch by itself can't do anything. But if it's connected to the vine, the sap, the life of the vine passes through the branch and produces fruit. And what we're learning, what we're seeing in John 15 is this fruit is the manifestation of the life of the vine through the branch and in the form of fruit. The manifestation of the life of Christ through your life, through my life, in the form of a changed character. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, so forth. There's a changed character. There's a Christ-likeness that takes place as you abide in Christ and His life is manifest through you. Then there's also a manifestation of His activity, His work, as He directs you and you do the things He leads you to do. And then people begin to see through your life God at work. And so the Father is very concerned with fruit. And Jesus says the key is that we abide in him. And as we abide, he produces the fruit. I can't produce the fruit, but I can abide. I can have fellowship with him. I can commune with him. I can have conversation with him every moment of the day if I choose to. But how do I know that it's real? How do I know when I'm really abiding in him, when I, when I've, when I got it, when I've nailed it, how do I know when I'm abiding in Christ? I believe verses 9 to 11 help us incredibly to understand how I can be certain that I'm abiding in him. Three things, and they involve the heart. So I can't just look at you and tell whether you're abiding or not. Not really. And so you have to look in your own heart. And and. This is kind of a hard inspection, but I'm really abiding when three things are taking place. Number one, number one, I'm really abiding when I choose his love as my environment. When I choose his love as my environment. Look at verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. 
as the Father loved me. Let's take that first phrase. How does the Father love the Son? He's saying, as the Father's loved me, this is the way I love you. So how does the Father love the Son? Now, these are not on the screen. You may want to jot them down if you're taking notes or jot them down in the margin of your Bible. But here's some statements where the Father clearly loves the Son. John 3.35. John 3.35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. It's a statement of fact. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. John 5.20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does. Another statement of fact. John 17, 24. This is in the same night that we're studying in John 15, the night before Jesus is di- uh, dies. In John 17, he prays this incredible prayer. And in John 17, 24, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, that's every Christian in the room, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me, Here it is, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. How does the Father love Jesus? Before the world was even made. In eternity past. And so we know that the Father's love for the Son is an eternal love. It has no beginning, has no ending. There wasn't a day that came and the Father said, I guess I'm going to decide to love my Son now. There was no no starting point. He's always loved the Son. Now, those are good statements. Because it states the fact that the Father loves the Son. It has not yet told us how the Father loves the Son. What's the manner or the way in which He loves the Son? Because that's what Jesus is saying. The way that the Father loves me, that's how I love you. Well, we, get, we have to go a little deeper. Matthew 17. Just listen to this. Matthew 17, verse 2. This is the, the transfiguration. Those of you who are Bible scholars, remember that Jesus took three of His disciples up on this mountain And the Father gave those men a glimpse of the glory of Jesus as he really is in heaven. The glory of God was manifest through Jesus. He just shined out with the glory of God. And in Matthew 17, verse 2, it says, And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. That would have been an awesome sight. And in fact, it was so awesome that Peter said, Hey, let's just set up camp here. Let's build, a, let's build a, a place where other people can come and see this too. And um, he, while he was babbling, the Father cut him off. The Father speaks from heaven. And in verse 5, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, now listen, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. But listen to what's in that statement. Because this also occurs at the baptism of Jesus. These, this very same phrase, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So twice in the ministry of Jesus at least, the father has just broken in from heaven and said this where people could hear it. This is my beloved son. You know what he's saying? This is the son I love. I love my son. In whom I am well pleased means I take pleasure in him. I love my son. I take pleasure in my son. He looks on the son, and every time he sees the son, he is delighted in him. In another passage in Matthew 12, verse 18, Matthew quotes Isaiah 42, 
he quotes an Old Testament passage of Scripture describing the Father's attitude towards the Son. Listen to it, Matthew 12, 18. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. Isaiah 42 is written in Hebrew. In the Hebrew where it says my soul is well pleased, it's a Hebrew word ratzah, which means delights in. I love my son. I take pleasure in my son. I delight in my son. That's how the father loves the son. It's not some worked up sacrifice of the father just doing something terribly difficult to love the son. He has joy in his son. He rejoices in his son. We would say that he's giddy. My wife and I and my oldest daughter most mornings, not every morning, most mornings, we're out walking in circles over here between the schools. And uh, usually it's dark. That's the way I prefer to exercise. I don't like you seeing me exercise. I don't feel real great about that, so I like to do it in the dark. Anybody can identify with that? I saw that hand. Okay. And, and, and so one of the, the things about my wife is that she's shorter than I am. She's about 5'3", or she used to be, and, um, and I'm about 6 foot. I used to be 6'1". And, and so I walk faster than her. But because we're in a circle, I meet up with her every now and then. And so when I come up behind her, we've been married 35 and a half years. When I come up behind her and I see that, that woman walking ahead of me and I, I see her out there walking, she's walking as fast as she can, I cannot put into words what sometimes happens to me, but there is an emotion that wells up in me and I can't help it. I smile. Now, usually, that happens to me frequently when I look at my wife. She usually looks at me and says, what are you laughing at? But I'm not laughing. It's an emotion. There, it's, it's delight. I delight in her. I love seeing her out there. I love seeing her anywhere. And I come up behind her and I just see her and I just, wow, that's great. I walk past her, I go. I'm giddy. The father looks at the son. He says, I love the son. I take pleasure in the son. In Hebrew, he says, I, I delight in him. And then we have this amazing statement, and Jesus is saying, the way the father loves me, that's the way I love you. I love you. I take pleasure in you. I delight in you. He says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. That word as is an adverb uh, modifying the word love. He's saying the same way, according to the standard, the bar the Father has set. He says, I also have loved you. Literally, in the Greek word order, he says, so I you loved. As the Father's loved me, so I you loved. That's what he's saying. No beginning. There was never a day where he got up and said, today I'm going to love Dustin Clegg. He's always loved Dustin Clegg. 
There was never a point where he says, I'm going to stop loving Will Nicholson. I'm done with Will. That was the last one, last time. A lot of us feel like Will, don't we? (laughs) But the Lord, he doesn't do that. His love is eternal. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's an eternal love. It can't be eternal if it had a beginning point. And so Jesus' love for us is just like that. No beginning, no end, never wavers, never changes. He says, that's the way the Father loves me. And then he turns to you and me and he says, I want you to live in what I just told you. I want you to be connected to that truth. I want you to make that truth your environment. You know, we studied uh, this concept of being in Christ throughout the New Testament. It means that he is your environment. Everywhere you go, you are in Christ just like someone in a scuba suit goes deep into the ocean with a tank of air on. They can go into a hostile environment. It's okay as long as they take their native environment with them. And your native environment is Christ. And he says, I want you to abide in my love. Make my love your environment. Everywhere you go, every moment that you live, abide in my love. How can I know that I'm abiding in Christ when I choose to believe him, that he really does love me like that? I choose to believe him and rest in that love every moment. No matter what's happening to me, no matter what I see is going wrong in my life, no matter how badly I think I've messed up my life, I choose to believe that he loves me, and I'm going to rest in his love. Why? Because he said, as a father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Live there. Live there. Jesus looks at me with delight. Jesus enjoys me. Jesus is with me. Jesus loves me. That's the first thing. I choose his love as my environment. Secondly, I am really abiding when... Number two, I want to please him more than I want to please me. I want to please him more than I want to please me. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, I got to be honest with you, this verse gives me fits. And I'm not going to answer every question that you probably have about this verse because there's some really some other key passages in John 14 especially that talk about the relationship between his commandments and this intimacy of abiding in his love. But let me tell you what it doesn't mean. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The question is, how do I abide in his love? He says, abide in my love. How do I do it? Well, he's telling you in verse 10. He said, if you keep my commandments... That's that's how you abide in my love. Now, let's think about that for a moment because there was a group of people in Jesus' day called Pharisees. Did they keep the commandments? You betcha. They kept the commandments better than anybody here, I'm I'm reasonably sure. They, They kept the commandments, but did they abide in his love? No. There's more to it than just simply obeying the letter of the law. And, and so this is, this is something different, and we need to understand what he's saying here. How do you abide in his love? Now, some of you all know that um, about a year and a half ago, my, my grandfather passed away, a, a week short of, of being 101. And I loved him, and he loved me at a very critical time in my life. He helped raise me. 
And so it was a very special relationship. After he passed away, people were cleaning out his house. I couldn't go down there for that. People were cleaning out his house and his attic and storage area, and they were going to get rid of some things. I didn't even have to be there. I told him on the phone, I said, here's what I need you to set aside. And there were, there were a handful of things that I knew were probably stuck away that nobody cared about, and they would have gotten rid of them. But I said, no, I need to keep those things. And, um, um, and I could give you a list of what some of those things were. But this is one of the things that I got. It's this hat. Now, I can't wear this hat. My head's bigger than my grandfather's. This was his hat. If he was standing by me, it would be about this high. <laughs> I did it even this morning. I, I can smell my grandfather in the hat. He smoked cigars twice a day, even when he was 100. And um, that's a very distinctive smell. Always had one in his pocket. And I don't know how many I crushed hugging him when I was little. He didn't care. But, but he, would, he would smoke a cigar in the morning about 10 o'clock. He'd smoke one in the afternoon, go outside in the garage, he'd smoke a cigar. His doctors told him to quit smoking years ago. About 19, and, uh, through my high school years and my young adult years, he would get an annual physical. And the, letter would, the doctor would generate a letter saying that he was in good health. He would make a copy of it and send it to all his relatives. including me. And then somewhere, I don't remember what year it was exactly, around 1991, 1992, we didn't get a letter. We were worried. And we finally got a letter. This one was typed by him. He said, well, I would have sent you my letter for my annual physical, but the doctor who had told me to quit smoking all those years has passed away. <laughs> and so I'm needing to find a new doctor. And... Um, and so my papa was very special to me. Now that hat, I can't wear it. I can't do much with it at all, except look at it. But it means a lot to me, and it has value to me because I had a relationship with the man that it belonged to. And because that hat was important to him, it becomes important to me because of the relationship. You with me? Because we had this relationship, what was important to him and I knew what was important to him became important to me. So Jesus is saying, how do you abide in my love? He says, you do it this way. You do it the way I did it. Because that's what the verse says. If, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Here it is. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So if you're going to abide in, in, in my love, you do it the same way that I did when I abide in my Father's love. You do it the way I did it. The Father loves me. And is so pleased with me that my heart was set to never, ever do anything to disrupt that fellowship between me and my father. So whatever was important to him became important to me. Whatever the father wanted, that's what he did. Was it out of slavish obedience? Was it just out of rule-keeping and keeping the law? 
Was it that kind of relationship? No, it's because the Father loves me. He takes delight in me. I don't want to do anything to wound the heart of my Father. And if it pleases Him, that's what I want to do. Even if it doesn't please me. Father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours, Father. Yours. So he's more concerned about pleasing the Father than he is about pleasing himself. And that's what we're called to in this relationship. In John chapter 8, just listen, John 8, verse 28, 29, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Everything Jesus said, the Father told him to say. And he who sent me is with me. Listen, the Father has not left me alone. Not for one moment. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. The Father's never left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Now, now relationship and fellowship There's a connection between those two words, but they are different concepts, and you need to understand that this morning. If you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're resting in Him for your salvation, your sins are forgiven, and the Holy Spirit of God has come to live inside you, that is a fact. And you have a relationship with God, He is your Father, and you are His child. And that relationship is eternal. When Jesus said in John 3, 16, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, it is an eternal life he gives when you trust Jesus. The men and I were talking about this Thursday morning. If it's not everlasting, it's not eternal if you can lose it. If it can be lost, if you can lose your salvation, it is not everlasting life you got, is it? And so that relationship is established. He is your father. You are his child, and that can never be broken. But that's your relationship. There's also a thing called fellowship. Fellowship is your intimacy, your communion, your conversation. Fellowship is your abiding. Fellowship is your walking in the Spirit. Fellowship is that connection between you and the Father where you talk to Him and you sense His joy in you and you enjoy Him and you want to do His will and you want to do His heart. Now, Jesus had unbroken fellowship with the Father His entire life because He always did. He said in John 8, 29, I always do those things that please Him. The Father was always with Him. The fellowship was never broken. Now, you, you don't have to think very long to know that that's not true of you and me, is it? My relationship with God can never be broken. But when I sin, when I decide to please me instead of God, when I make my life about me and not Him, when self is on the throne of my heart, my fellowship with God can be broken. And I won't feel very close to God, and I won't feel very close to God because I'm not very close to God. And so when we talks about abiding in his love, he's saying if you've created an environment where 
well, you know how much I love you, and you know how much I take delight in you, and you know how much you please me. If you're living in that environment, one of the markers that that, in fact, is what's happening is that what's inside of you is a desire to please him more than a desire to please you. I mean, we've all had those friends. We all have those relationships, a lot of times even in our families, where we have that one sibling or we have that one parent, don't look at anybody, please. And, and they're just draining because every time you talk to that person, it's all about them. They're always going to talk about what they're doing. They're always going to talk about their problems. They're always going to talk about their aspirations and their dreams and their excitement. All you do is, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's just draining. You know, I used to tell my kids, you can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your family. And as Thanksgiving approaches, you need to remember that. <laughs> That's not fellowship. That kind of relationship, you may be related, maybe your brother, sister, father, mother, you may be related, but you're not having much fellowship with that person, are you? Why? Because that person has made the relationship all about them. And they may be very happy with the relationship, but you don't feel very close to them. And in truth, they're not very close to you because there's no communion between the two of you because of selfishness. And so Jesus is saying that the way you can know you're abiding in his love is this. You want to do whatever he wants. Your love is such that your heart is set to please him. And so you're going to keep his commandments because of the relationship. You're going to care about the things that are important to him. And the things that are important to him are now important to you. His life, his mission, his work, his objectives, all those things become important to you. Number three, I'm really abiding when I... First, choose his love as my environment. Secondly, I want to please him more than I want to please me. And number three, I find maximum joy in my complete surrender to him. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you. What is he talking about? Well, in one sense, everything he's ever said. In context, it probably goes back to chapter 13 and chapter 14. And everything he's been telling them about his departure and how they're going to have this new relationship with him that's going to exceed in value and quality the old relationship. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may literally just be in you, it's not the word abide, may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Why has Jesus been telling us all of this? Why is he, he taking this time with the disciples on the night before he was going to die? Why has he invested so much truth? Most of it they didn't even understand at the time. Why did he tell them these things? He said, because I am joyful and my joy is about to be in you, and then I want your joy to be overflowing. I'm not telling you this stuff, he says, to make life miserable for you. I'm telling you this so that you'll be joyful. Joyful. So Jesus has been describing the life of a disciple after he leaves. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. The Holy Spirit's going to indwell you. He said, picture this, a vine and a branch. I want you to understand that this new relationship is like that, a vine and a branch. My life will be in you and all around you, me in you, my love in you, my joy in you, my mission is becoming your mission 
all of this is going to be fruit as my life is manifest in your life. And if you surrender to this, if you listen to this, he says, if you abide in me, if you let my life flow through your life, if you surrender, then friend, you're going to have joy. kind of joy that no one can take from you, a joy that no matter what circumstance you have in life, there's still joy. In 1 Peter 1.8, Peter writes, whom having not seen, talking about Jesus, but he's writing to a group of people, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing trusting in what he said, trusting in who he is, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Your greatest joy is found in this relationship with Jesus Christ. Your greatest joy is found when you abide in him. Because in abiding in him, you discover what you were made for while you're on earth why you're breathing this moment, why you exist. You were made for this relationship. And he says, when you surrender to this, and you say, I get it now, Lord. I want to abide in you. I want to have communion with you the rest of my life. He said, there's joy. Joy. If I've made my life all about me, I'm not going to be very joyful. If I've made my life about pursuing what I want, my goals, my objectives, and trying to enlist God as my co-pilot, I'm not going to be very joyful. If I'm walking for me, not for him, I'm not going to be joyful. And even as a Christian who loves the Lord, if I spend my life trying to be what he wants me to be, spending my effort to try to build great things for him and do great things to him and be a good guy and do all the right things, I'm still not going to be joyful. In fact, I'll be pretty miserable because all I'll see are my failures. All I'll see are the stupid things I've done and things I, I have messed up because I put it all on me. And Jesus said, you can't produce fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything but abide in me. Have fellowship with me. A couple weeks ago, I had to get away for a day. And um, some of y'all know, I periodically I do that. I don't do it as often as I need to, as often as I would like to, but um, I think some of y'all will understand that there, there are times in your walk with God where you just need to get away with God. In that particular week, I'd planned to be away several days, and because of events that were taking place, I, I couldn't get away. But I found a, a, a little spot on a Thursday through a Friday, a Thursday noon through a Friday, and I, I got out of Dodge, and I went to a, a camp where a friend of mine uh, owns a camp, and I, I stayed there from about noon on Thursday to noon on Friday. Just me and him. As usually happens, the first part of that time is spent 
sleeping. Sometimes sleeping can be the most spiritual thing that you do. There's a lot of residual fatigue and tiredness that many of us carry. And until we get alone and get still, we don't realize how tired we are. And so a lot of times I just crash. I used to fight that 20-some-odd years ago when I started doing that. I used to think, here, I made this time to get alone with God, and all I want to do is sleep. But I discovered that if I would rest, that often after that rest, it's like my ears are unstopped. The Word takes on a whole new life. And it's like on every page, the Lord's speaking to my heart. And that happened. And I just had a rich time. I went there with some questions, some things I was praying about. Um, I usually take time to pray over what we're doing on Sunday mornings and just different things in my life. And he didn't speak to me about any of those things. He just spoke to me about me and him, our relationship our fellowship. And what's interesting is when I came home, I find after those kinds of times where I'm alone with the Lord, I find in my heart a real sensitivity to things that I have been doing that aren't right. Because all of a sudden I realize that doesn't please him. And I don't want to do it. I see some other things that I'm drawn to do and I want to do more of it because I realize those are things that he's wired me for. It's what he made me for. It's what he's leading me to do. And I want to do more of those things because I want to please him. And during those first, that first day or two or three, when I get back, it's like all I want to do is please him. And I feel such a sense of him being my environment, frankly, that things are just kind of crystal clear for a while. And it's just a reminder to me personally that that time I spend with him in the morning or in the evening or whatever time I spend alone with him, my goal in those moments is not just to check off my reading for the day. My goal in those moments is to meet with him. Child of God, you have a relationship with the Lord. You know it because you trusted Jesus. You know he's forgiven you for your sins and that you are saved. But how's your fellowship with God? Do you know that he loves you? Do you really believe that he delights in you, takes pleasure in you? Jesus says, I want you to go there. I really do. And I want you to go there, and he says, stay there. I want you to be aware of my love for you. It changes us. Let me ask you to bow your head and to close your eyes. We have, after our services, after the sermon each week, we have a time of response. And customary in Baptist churches, we call it an invitation. And If we're not careful, sometimes that can just be a traditional thing that we do and not understand that this is really part of our worship. Sometimes we think the only people that should be going down are the people who are getting saved or people who have been really bad and they need to fess up. 
And so we, we won't let ourselves move. We won't let ourselves respond because we have this prejudice in our mind about what it means to go forward in a church service. I want you just to sort of erase all of that from your thinking. One of our pastors, Dustin and I, are down here at the front. Man, if you'd just like someone to pray with you, you can share a little bit with us or not. doesn't matter. You can just say, hey, I just need to pray with someone. And the Lord may lead you to do that, just to come and speak to one of us. And as you're working out in your mind this truth that God loves you, what it means for you to abide in his love, you may just need to bow your head, lean on the back of that pew and just bow your head and say, Lord, forgive me for taking your love for granted. I realize, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you and what you've done for me. Father, I want to change that. I want my heart to change. I want to be a man that lives for you, Lord. I want to be a woman, a young man, young woman, whatever the case may be. I want to be the person that loves you, lives for you. I want the things, Father, that are important to you to be important to me. And maybe you just need to have a conversation with the Lord like that. You can do it there in the pew. You can come down front. Just kneel at the steps. Really, and sometimes just being active like that helps make it real to you, makes it real to your heart to move. If you're here this morning and you've heard me talk about a relationship with Jesus and you say, I don't have that. And you want to have that? Listen, he loves you and he wants you more than you've ever known. He's ready to forgive you and wash away all your sin. He's ready to receive you and change your life. If you're here this morning, you have no hope, no future, no sense that things are ever going to be better or ever be meaningful, he offers you a new life. Because with him, you still have a meaning and you still have purpose. If you're breathing, God has a plan for you. And it's a good one. And it's one that includes joy. And so I invite you, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have that relationship with him, to come. Talk to Dustin, talk to me. We'll be glad to share scripture with you about how a person putting their trust in Jesus can be saved and their life changed.